Thank you for listening to How It Ends. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash studio. Our tiers start at $1 and all patrons receive early access, ad-free episodes, digital downloads, access to polls, and more. Physical rewards start at $6 and feature exclusive patron-only merch and other perks. You can also visit us at howitendspodcast.com to shop in our merch store or to join our Discord server, where you can chat with us and other fans of the show. It's the only place you'll find exclusive whispers from Micah, Elia, Devin, and Amy. Please enjoy the show. I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high-quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere. You know, the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples. And so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Welcome to the Found Audio Creator Series. We'll be featuring episodes on our feed from some of our fellow indie podcasters. If you like what you hear, please make sure to check out the show notes for more information on this podcast, its creator, and to find out where you can listen to more episodes. Dragon Shanty is a musical high seas fantasy audio drama where you play the most important character. Cozy Inn is two retired bards regale you fireside with the story of how they came to be the lighthouse keepers. Zellera and Hanari reminisce about their lives in this podcast riddled with pirates, dragons, magic, and wordplay. They have plenty of sweets and songs, so settle in for this bedtime story epic. Dragon Shanty is intended for a mature audience, as it contains instances of dramatized violence and occasionally explores adult themes. For the best possible listening experience, check the episodic content warnings in the footnotes or on our website at dragonchanty.com. There you'll also find transcripts, contact information, and more. Welcome to the lighthouse, sweet one. Please make yourself comfortable. Chapter 1. Testimony It's looking kind of nasty out there. Well, the beacon feels strong tonight. 
probably because we had an extra pair of hands helping us today. Now, how's that? Not too tight anywhere, I hope. Oh, good. Here's your water. And a little something sweet. Auntie Zell, this close to bedtime. Oh, come on. Don't be such an old fuddy-duddy. Let's stay up for a while. Enjoy our guest while we can. And don't you worry your pretty little head. There's one here for you, too. Where are you pulling these from? Well, I might have thrown a few into my Corsilla case when you weren't looking. But, oh, there's a little bit on the strings there. <laughs> uh, yep, good as new. <laughs> now, how would you like to hear a bedtime story? I took the liberty of bringing a few classics up to choose from. Oh, uh, oh, no, of course. Oh, well, it's not like you're the lighthouse's first visitor to outgrow our dusty old bookshelf. Time for something a little different, perhaps? You think they're ready? Well, what do you think, sweet one? Are you old enough to hear a new kind of bedtime story? It can get a little sad and scary at times, but... Well, then again, I see what you've been reading lately, and I doubt anything in here is going to shock you. Like many of our books, it was written by Auntie Zell. But this one is a true story. Well, I couldn't have done it myself without Aunt Hanari's flawless memory. That's true. What do you say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, then why don't we get started with a little song? You say fables have failed you and stories are stale and you can't ward off monsters wielding just fairy tales. You need stranger than fiction. You need testimony. So that. (laughs) Fine. 30 or so years ago, I was 23 years old and training up as a sailor. The distant lands and the sea bridging them felt destined to be in the story of my life, and I intended to receive its abundance by, well, my plan was to join a fishing ship and shuck oysters for room and board. You're still the best shucker I ever did meet. (laughs) Oh, stop. But then, on a morning misted in quietly drenching rain, while trudging casually late to my sailing lesson, I spotted a feathered creature crumpled in the clover. And I'd just walked off the family farm, so I figured surely one of our chickens had been thieved into the fields by a hungry predator. But then I heard it, a little warning cry. Nesting on the intersection of a seagull's seeking caw and a toad clicking its throat. Admittedly, I was reckless in approaching him. I mean, as soon as I saw those ruby-red eyes quiver open at me, 
I figured he was just a harmless drake, someone's lost beloved pet or abandoned responsibility. Besides, he looked so weak, enduring a few nips or scratches from him would be nothing after my grumpy hens. Oh, oh, take it easy. It's gonna be okay. I cooed, grabbing the sail my mama Lilia had made for me at... Hold on. Okay. This sail. She spent hours beating and weaving flax fibers into the most immaculate linen, sturdier than any coat she'd ever fashioned. Oh, it was a beautiful sailcloth, and I folded it to a size that felt familiar for chicken wrangling. Right foot forward, planted with a little mortar and pestle swish, I crouched. Okay, little buddy. I'm so sorry about this. I just want to help you. All right. Okay, let's go. Let's do this. One, two. (laughs) Gotcha. Oh, um, why not count to three? Well, because my chickens had learned to count at some point and it had just become habit. I compressed his light frame to my chest. Now, what would I do with him? I'd always had a fondness for drakes and critters in general, of course. So the fantasy of taking him in, cleaning him up, and tending to his wounds permeated my entire body like a sugar rush. I started pondering aloud as the outermost edges of the sail went limp in the whispering rain. I guess I should take you into town, huh? And see if anyone's missing you. Maybe you're just a little scamp who likes to run off. Off. Uh, Hold up. Is that steam? No. Smoke? Drifting embers took bite-sized singes from the cloth, spreading like an ashy rash. Within moments, my sail was in flames. My arms stung from the spontaneous flash of heat. I dropped the bundle into a cushion of wet clover and jumped back. And... So did he, gliding maybe a hundred feet before tumbling in exhaustion. No! My sail! My... How? I bolted forward, collecting my brain from my stomach, pawing at the smoke box in my bag, but of course, nothing about that was out of place. The creature stood and turned, shifting his weight over four buckling knees. Even the muscles in his patchily feathered neck trembled as it outstretched taller and taller, like a rooster cornered with a knife and calculating his next move. And he was entirely unscathed. You, there's not a drake on this blue earth that can spit fire like that. Are you a dragon? And as he faced me, his little legs just gave in. I took a few steps forward, swinging good old four strings around to the front and letting my fingers take their positions. Okay, I I can see now that that was a bad move on my part. Um, I'm really sorry. Also, I'm really sorry for what I'm about to do. And what I did was, I played a lullaby.
The creature is hot. Oh, oops. <laughs> Silly woman. Wakey, wakey. Are you... Uh, oh, good. I'm so sorry, love. I would never do that without your permission. I didn't think I had enough magic left in me after today. Oh, now, where were we? The creature's eyelids softened as he stumbled into a magically slumberous trance. After briefly grieving my sailcloth, I swaddled the dragon up with it and ran towards town. Well, even in my youth, I didn't exactly run, but nevertheless, I made haste. And where would I take him? To my old pal, Dr. Edwick Penetaire. That's Antonari's brother. When I finally heard the hissing steam towers of Fatal Wind and entered the city gates, I allowed the relief to wash over me. Halt, Zalera. Oh, damn guards! I mean, I couldn't tell you the name of the one who stomped me that day, but I was, uh, well, let's just say I was well acquainted with the lot of them back then. I slowed, but didn't entirely halt. I really can't. I'm so sorry. It's a medical emergency. Zolera. I found a sick drake. Taking to Dr. Penetaire. I half lied. I'll be checking in with the doctor later. You best not be getting into trouble. He threatened after me, but, well, I didn't respond to that. How would I even begin? Finally, I reached a clay building taller than wide. Lush hedges of fern under the windows. I impatiently danced with my legs bending in tandem, checking on the dragon every few seconds. A sign read, the doctor is in an appointment. Come on, Edwick, I muttered, keeping an eye on the bard's clock tower. Eventually, it confirmed that I'd been waiting longer than Edwick's rigid scheduling allowed for a patient. I peered through a gap between drawn curtains... The flasks were bubbling and candles lit, but nobody in sight. So I flipped the sign, let myself in, and locked the door behind me. Oh, Antonari, would you be a dear and speak for your brother for me? Ooh, gladly. From upstairs, a voice well-practiced in hospitality rang out. The clinic is closed. Please leave your name and address in the book by the door if you need an appointment. Apologies. Thank you. It's me! Oh, well, in that case, I already know where you live. Apologies. Thank you. Ugh, it's urgent and very medical. <sighs> Just a moment. He relinquished, appearing at the top of the stairs a few minutes later, his amber hair and mustache dripping water onto old Freema, his drake of over a decade. She was weary those days, practically melted around his shoulders. But she still managed to slowly rear her head at the bundle in my arms. In an appointment, huh? I appointed myself a morning bath, he quipped, then leaned into his trademark sympathy. Oh, another chicken. Yeah, right? That's what I thought. I began... Then I told Edwick everything that happened in surely excruciating detail. Even then, she couldn't help it. All right, all right, you'll get your turn soon enough. <laughs> Edwick was understandably skeptical that I had found a true dragon, but old Freema, she knew. 
moving more in that moment than I'd seen her attempt in years. The old drake rose up, clutched Edwick's shoulders with her long claws, and began to shriek at me. My magic had nothing on Freema's warning cries, and when I looked back down at the dragon, his eyelids were trembling open like seismic rifts. Um, Hedwig? Freema? No! What has gotten into you? He rushed with her to the other side of the lab. Uh, don't worry, Zell. As the doctor lunged for a tranquilizer, the patient locked eyes with old Freema from across the room. Rather than matching her territorial posture, he submitted a squeak of weak submission. Old Freema made one final grunt, seemingly feeling accomplished, and wrapped herself around Edwick, who was hastening back with a huge needle. Oh, I don't think he has the energy for any more mischief, I winced. Maybe we don't need that. Edwick shook his head and jabbed the needle sagely into the dragon's neck. He'll be much more comfortable while I examine him. Trust me. Besides, if an unmanaged fire were to break out in here, it would likely trigger an explosion and uh, decimate two city blocks. (laughs) So anyway, uh... You really just found him alone? He tried not to sound accusatory, I could tell, but it still seeped through the cracks of all the times I'd disappointed him. (sighs) Yes, Edwick, I would never just take some bard's baby like that. This isn't a baby, Zell. If you're right, he's a dangerous predator who needs to be in the hands of someone trained to socialize and, and to care for him. Right, like Hanari... Certainly a bard. Of course, Hanari's hands are, uh, quite full with Finnegan, but yes, we can both agree that he should be taken to the clock tower, right? Right. Oh, I'm glad to hear she writes to you. Edwick slid a wide metal tool into the tranquilized creature's throat. On the end protruding from his mouth was a scope through which Edwick would confirm what I knew to be true. Incredible! Tell me, tell me, tell me, what is it? What, can I see? I can't believe it. Does he have, like, one of those fire danglies? Edwick stepped aside, speechlessly gawking at me. And as I looked through the scope, I saw it. Red and partially opaque, undulating, veins glowing like magma just below the surface. I knew. From the moment he set my sail on fire, but now I really knew. My serendipity was scientifically validated, and the slight chance that I was losing my grip on reality faded. It's humbling, really, how the smallest seed of doubt in yourself feels like a million pounds when finally lifted. I'll just go grab my coat and uh, a few supplies. We went into town. Now, um... My childhood reputation, coupled with my affinity for seafaring, spurred rumors that I was fated to fall into the sticky-fingered grunge of piracy, and the glares of the noble bards and their dragons about the clock tower campus were the worst of all. Not a fan of this place, I whispered through clenched teeth. Admittedly, I've grown used to... eh, Well, bored of it, really. Most days, I'm quite content to not have pursued bardship. Inside the clock tower, we wound through what felt like a 
dozen checkpoints and countless halls. And each time, Edwick vouched for my companionship as we weaved further into the ascending labyrinth. We reached what Edwick referred to as Presenium Hall, a dizzying tunnel of shifting white lights seamlessly lining the walls and ceiling. Edwick and old Freema seemed accustomed to traveling the bowels of this magical marquee, but it left me feeling nauseous and vulnerable. In retrospect, I had also just climbed a lot of stairs. The tunnel led to a pair of heavy red curtains, which Edwick parted, leading us to the center of a grand stage. My eyes struggled to adjust to the dim candlelight, but gradually I pieced it all together. Blink, above and around us loomed a titanic stone archway like the maw of a whale. Blink. From it, we looked out at a petrified tsunami of tiered chairs hundreds of rows deep. Blink. They smoothly arched up the back wall, ending at the bottom of a balcony the size of my whole cabin. Suddenly, torches capped with blue flames crackled to life along the balcony railing. The first patron of the platform was Councilwoman Penetere, Edwick and Hanari's mother. In deep purple robes. There was also a man with a bald head and colorfully spackled frock on the right, and between the two of them, a much older man with a long beard and red conical hat. Of course, back then, their uniforms were flamboyant by design to uphold the public image that they were not the absolute bores they actually were. I mean, who would join otherwise? If I may add... In those days, my mother looked a lot like I do now. Back then, she would have been just about my age. Wow, that's a thought. Sometimes I swear she's back to haunt me, until I realize it's just my reflection in the mirror. Yeah, well, these laugh lines of yours are deeper than hers ever were, and that's what counts. You're absolutely right. Now, get to my first entry. I know! So, as I was saying... Welcome back, Dr. Penetere, croaked Councilman Frunicus, the older man in the conical hat. The man in the colorful frock, Councilman Korst added. And company, too. And Councilwoman Penetere, whose home I'd made countless childhood memories inside. Ah, uh, yes, Zalera Orana. Oh, uh, actually, it's Zalera Orana Talk Ardell. My parents hyphenated. Hmm. But for the record, Orana Talk or Orana Ardell. Orana is a birth, correct? Orana Talk Ardell. Birth mother, birth father, adoptive mother. I'm. You met all three of them once at, at dinner? I recall. She stated absently, her quill scratching away on unseen paper. Context for the council. Zalera used to be one of my daughter's little friends when they were children. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, did you put all three down? Let's not waste any more time on technicalities, Zalera. Tell us what you've got there and why you've brought a bundle of rags into my chamber. Mother, Zalera has done a great service for the council today. I can confidently say, after assessing it at my lab, that she has found, subdued, and relinquished into my care a dragon still in infancy. <clears throat> yep. 
I confirmed, letting the sail crumple to the floor. The council leaned over the banister and sink, weaved between the blue flames. With a swish of his hand, the older member summoned a sudden and blinding spotlight. We shielded our eyes, even old Freema nuzzling her head into Edwick's neck. And for the next million years, it felt... Edwick and the council exchanged information about the severity of his claim and its implications. And then they went back and forth about how he could possibly be sure I was telling the truth about the fire breathing. As I stood, silently dazed, with a charred sail fraying over my feet and a few mild burns on my arms, Edwick even went into depth over the throat examination. Councilman Frunicus, the cone-hatted member, was still dubious because all mating pairs and their spawn were accounted for on Fatal Win. Oh, meanwhile, I was reclining into a daydream about this dragon in my arms, circling the mast of a ship. Maybe my ship. Yeah, my ship. Edwick nudged my arm with his elbow. I was yanked back into reality on a stage lit so brightly that I couldn't even see the expressions of those scrutinizing me in the darkness. Ow! Sorry, can you repeat that last thing? This light is kind of... Councilwoman Penetaire sighed yet again. Do you confirm all that Edwick said just now to be true? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Well, in that case, we will now convene privately. Please excuse us. The spotlight died. Sighs of relief. Through the popping, streaming stars of our recovering vision, we waited for the council to retreat behind their partition. The moment they were out of earshot, Edwick whispered, It's not too late, Zell. You you don't have to do this. You can say no. Wait, I don't have to do what? What I... We were just... Were you not paying attention? Edwick stared into my eyes, racking his diagnostic mind. Well, in my defense, for some reason, I can't think when my eyes are being scorched. The councilmen are prepared to receive the dragon and send him off with newly trained bards. But Mother, a uh, councilwoman Penetaire, interjected. She claims to have a better plan which would involve you taking him under your wing as an honorary. That makes no sense. I have no training. I've never even had a drake of my own. Agreed. I don't know what she's thinking. Don't worry. The others don't think you're well suited. Well, that stung a bit. And yet, when the council returned, stoic and collected, Councilwoman Penetaire asked, So, Zalera, what name will you give to him? The floor seemed to tilt beneath me. Fantasizing is one thing, but suddenly the insecurities I felt about caring for another intelligent creature, being responsible for whether he grew up to be refined and helpful or ravenously selfish, it suddenly felt so real, so impossible. And yet, so many had done it before me, and surely not every bard was as good as I was with animals, so... I could totally manage it, right? I took a deep breath and looked down at him, my smile trembling. Oh, uh, well, if I have to pick right now, I... I'd call him Gull. Councilwoman Penetaire rubbed her temples. 
Is it because he looks like a seagull, Solera? Oh, well, I couldn't let her have that satisfaction, now could I? Uh, actually, I'd name him after Captain Gulliver, uh, Elder Wing, a famous sailor from the homeland of my father's people. Captain Elderwing, you say? My, my, how exotic. The feather of her quill once again danced to the rhythm of feverish noting. You and Gulliver will report to the clock tower daily for precursory training. After a month or so, you will set out under Hanari's supervision. She's been struggling lately with her waterborne routes, so perhaps a seafaring companion will encourage her to expand her reach. Hanari, like, uh, your Hanari. Um, also, uh, bardic training is usually more than a month, right? <laughs> For the first month, we'll teach you what you need to embark on your pilgrimage under Hanari's guidance. Your training will be mostly abroad, but in the meantime, you can repay our flexibility by studying hard and proving yourself. Oh, okay, um, thank you. Uh, so is this something she signed up for, or... Hanari will be fine. No need to worry about that. Uh, that's not what I... I'll send word to her promptly so she has time to prepare herself and return to Fatalwind to fetch you. Uh, okay, okay, yeah, but... Well, sadly, it looks like our time is running out, Zalera. Wait, but we... We'll see you and Gulliver tomorrow at sunrise for bond training. In the meantime, I believe Dr. Penetere can give you something to suppress Gulliver's fire gland. We'll send you out with your coin as well. Keep it on you, and he shouldn't stray far. Enzalera, please bear in mind that the cost of replacing a golden coin is valued higher than your family's land thrice over. It certainly would put us all in a sticky situation if you were to misplace it. Uh, uh, understood. Edwick was sweet as he walked me and Gull back out of the city, but the situation had long left his hands. In apology, Edwick described their mother as a typhoon that sucks in confident people and spits them out bumbling fools. And this made me feel better... My bardic training over the next month was far from traditional. I got the impression that they were hell-bent on keeping me and Gull away from the rest of the student body. Instructors somehow seemed to recognize me before I'd ever even met them, and I didn't so much as even bump into Councilwoman Penetere. I was then compacted into a desk too small for my bulging stomach, Memorizing dragon anatomy and bardic rites with a sensation of drifting out to sea. So I conjured up fantasies and daydreams to keep me alert, but felt like I was flailing through every wave of trivial information. It wasn't that I didn't care about how best to nurture Gull, of course. I just couldn't swim like the rest of the students. My parents tried to be supportive, but I could tell that they were scared for me. We just love you and want you to be happy. You used to come home smiling, said father. It's, uh, it's been a long time since you fell out with Hanari, hasn't it? Pressed Mama Lilia. But it was Mama Tabitha who, while holding me deeply one midnight as my candlelight streaked tears dripped onto an open textbook, imparted the smartest words I've ever heard to this day. 
I'll tell you what I told Lene when she finished her bardic training. Your most prized possession is your testimony. That's what being a bard is really all about when you strip away all the noise. Make time to be yourself and be sure you're not just telling someone else's story because yours is just as big and important and interesting and enlightening and, well, at the end of this crazy life, it's all we've got. After a few weeks, I began field training with Gull, which was much more exciting. We practiced basic commands using a Bardic Council regimen of tasty treats and reminding Gull who it was that held the golden coin. No matter the dunes we climbed or pools we waded, if Gull began to stray too far for my comfort, I would pull the coin from my bag and call for him just as I'd been taught. One angling of its golden glint in the sun, and he would recall to my side, grateful for even the briefest glance before I stowed it again. Even still, it felt like something was missing in our relationship. So I asked Edwick for one last favor, for old time's sake. A letter on my behalf to the Bardic Council validating a fake illness that would keep me out of training just for a few days. Of course, the workload was unbearable when I returned, but I was so close to leaving Clover Isle for the first time in my life, I took the hit. Those precious few days were spent showing Gull the scenes of my earliest chapters. We had three meals a day with my family, hiked through the clover fields, and walked for hours along empty beaches. My favorite memory was a particular sunset evening. The tide pulled back to the sea, and in its wake, a still mirror of water settled over the sand. Wind caught trembling sea foam which coasted across the water in a mimicry of the clouds across the saturated sky. And when Gull was nervous of the billowing foam, I showed him how to squish and kick it, to laugh while testing the limits of new things when they cross your path. We returned to my cabin, a couple of absolute messes from all of our splashing, and snuggled up next to the stove. These are the moments I want in my testimony. I sighed, picking up my corsilla, releasing everything inside of me in this moment of vulnerability. What came out was a song for Aunt Hanari, one I was due to write before my initiation as a bard, but we'll get to that soon enough. My final night on the farm came, and after a farewell dinner with my folks, I whispered to Gull, There's one more thing I want to show you before we leave. We took a detour past the barn and into a pine grove, following the rocky incline to a seaside cliff. Crowning the scene was a crumbling old well which offered no water, but what it did offer was invaluable. A place to store my secrets. I stepped into a milk pail, secured from the top by some chain and the thickest rope I could braid. Gull was hesitant to follow, so I flashed the coin and said, I won't force you into a hole with me, but I know you don't want to lose sight of this. So, it's up to you. And lowered myself deep, deep, deep into the earth. He weighed his options, then reluctantly fluttered down after me. 
I tried to comfort him by mentioning that I'd been down here hundreds of times, and neither the clusters of bats nor dripping echoes were anything to be feared. And to be honest with you, buddy, I don't know where the deeper passages lead. Nobody really knows about this place, so getting lost down here would be bad news. (laughs) I dropped to my hands and knees, leading him from crawl space to sprawling cavern, and announced, um, this is my treasure room. Come on in. Uh, let's see. First things first. Um, this is the old pirate skeleton, which has always been here as far as I know. See how he's still holding a, an old bardic coin? Well, I've always been a little too squicked out. Uh, curses and all that. But now? Yeah, we're, we're gonna go ahead and take that. I mean, you heard what Hanari's mom said about the... No, wait. Actually, nope. You were asleep. <laughs> anyway, it's not like this guy's using it. Gull was just as awestruck by the new coin as the old, but once they were both tucked away, his big red eyes flickered across the shelved walls. Yeah, and then there's the rest of the treasures brought down little by little since I first found this place. I still have, um, the itch sometimes, but it's been several years since I've mm, collected anything. I've worked really hard, actually. I hope Hanari sees that. Oh, aha! I pulled an old brass spyglass etched with the Penetaire sigil from a barrel of stale tobacco. (laughs) This, this is what we came for. Oh, look, Zell. Oh no, how much did they miss? I think it just happened. Now don't you go waking them up again. No, of course not. I mean, this rest was their choice. Now, how about us? We did say we'd take them out early to find the good seashells. Oh, that's an excellent point. (laughs) I guess let's put this fire out. Good night, sweet one. We're glad you're here. We love you. So much. This episode was written with all original music by Noel Rose, voice of Zalera. Edited and produced by Laura Harmon, voice of Hanari. With special thanks to the following collaborators for making the show possible. The production team at Pack Howell Media. Whose information can be found in the footnotes or on our website. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.